We're in a series uh, looking at the letter that Paul wrote to a pastor named Timothy, and we're, we've been exploring this for the last uh, about seven weeks, and uh, we are continuing this today, looking at what does it look like for us to experience life stronger than it is now. We all have areas that we want to grow in, areas that we want to mature in, areas that, that we want to see life be different, better, more mature, stronger than where it currently is. And so that's what we've been exploring, looking at all sorts of of different areas. So I'm going I'm to pray for us, and then we will jump into our time today. Father, I, I thank you uh, that uh, you would uh, be present here with us today. I thank you that you speak to us, and you care for us, and you want to um, guide our lives and lead them to a place where we experience life stronger than it is now. I, I know that you know each person in this room and that you care for each person in this room, and, and you know where we need to hear from you. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, even now, that you would speak uh, through me and through your word. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different areas that we can talk about when we talk about life being stronger. We've looked at relationships, and we've looked at the difficulty of faith, and, and we've looked at leadership, and we, we've looked at a, a, lot of, a lot of different things. But when you think about life, and you think about the areas right now where you say, I, I want this to be different, I want this to be better, May, maybe you look at life, and, and it's kind of hard. Maybe there's some things in your life that are challenging, and, and we all have different things that are difficult or stressful or kind of create anxiety or fear or, or sadness. We all have difficult things, right? And, and maybe, maybe your week is, is difficult and you always kind of look forward to the weekend. Maybe your week is really hard, but you get to the weekend and there's then some things that you really enjoy, right? Your week might be hard. Your job might be hard. Your coworkers might be, some of you are nodding. Some of your coworkers are difficult and, and you get to the end of the week and then you say, okay, whew, I get the stuff on the weekend that I really actually get to enjoy. Or maybe it's even just like that during each day. Maybe Tuesday is, is hard, but you know at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock, depending on traffic, you get home, and if, you, if you're on 25, then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm finally here, and at least I've got the office, or at least I've got you know whatever show it is on Netflix that you like, or, or a good meal waiting for you, or at least a microwave meal, or something that you say, this is, at least I've got this, and there's some joy in different things that we have. Or maybe it's, man, several months are hard. Several months are difficult, but you've got a, a vacation that you're looking forward to. You know, man, I've got this trip. And if I can push through and I can get to this, that's going to be filled with things I enjoy. That's going to be filled with things that I like. And so life is, is hard, right? And there's challenging things and difficult things. But at the end of our day, there might be some stuff we look forward to. At the end of our week, on our weekend, there might be some stuff we, we look forward to. We really say, man, this brings me some joy. And at the end of, the end of several months or our year, there's a vacation. We go, man, there's, there's some things I enjoy. And there's a lot of stuff in our life that we enjoy. Many, many of you probably moved here because Denver offers things that you get to enjoy. Denver's got a great quality of life. There's the mountains and, and there's great food and beer and, I mean, all sorts of stuff that people actually moved to Denver for. So maybe even wherever it was in your life that was challenging, you actually said, I want to come to Denver because there's a lot of stuff there. I'll be able to just live in a place that I enjoy. But, but here's what's interesting. Even though this is a big part of our life, even though the stuff that we enjoy, whether on the weekends or vacation or at the end of a day, or maybe we even move to Denver for that, you know, there's a lot of stuff in our life we enjoy. A lot of times we have no idea how that connects with faith. 
Our life is filled with all sorts of things that bring us joy and pleasure and, and maybe relief in some ways, but a lot of times we don't even know how does that connect with faith. We know how big things connect with faith. Right? If you're married, and, or maybe you're kind of in the process of getting married, a lot of times when people are getting married, I know a lot of you are kind of newly married, last few years, stuff like that, it's like, okay, we want Jesus to be at the center of our marriage. And so people read books, and they think about, okay, what does it mean to have faith and marriage, and how does Jesus connect to this? And we, we kind of understand how big things like marriage, or some of you are new parents, and you go, man, how does parenting connect with, with faith? And, and what's kind of the Christian view of parenting? How do I raise my kids the right way? And you think about suffering, right? Life is hard and difficult and we love people and, and there's challenging things and, and we know how suffering, how, how that, how grief, how sorrow, how sadness, how heartache, we know how that connects with, with faith. We, we get those topics, kind of the big stuff of life. And, and we, get, we, get how, we get how spiritual sounding things that, that are very kind of inherently spiritual, we get how that connects with faith. You, you say, okay, I understand prayer, and I understand the Bible, and church, and kind of some of that stuff, and some of the stuff we've even looked at in this letter, and we go, I, yeah, I get, I get how that's a part of faith. Or maybe even emotionally, there's things that you say, okay, I, yeah, maybe I've got guilt, and I understand how that connects with faith. Even some of, if you were in here at the beginning when Ben read kind of the, the call to, to worship, it, man, if you're weary, and maybe you're weary, and you're like, yeah, I know how that connects with faith, or, Maybe if you got shame or guilt, you're like, yeah, I know how that connects with faith or identity stuff. If you go, man, I feel, I feel worthless. And you go, yeah, I know how that connects with faith. And there's a lot of stuff that we understand how it connects with faith, but how does skiing connect with faith? How does, how does, how does, uh, how does movies connect with faith? How does beer connect? With, I mean, just how does your weekend and just the stuff that you enjoy, how does that connect at all with Faith, because that's such a big part of our lives. I mean, it's a huge part of our lives, the things that we do that just bring us joy and pleasure. It's a huge part of our life. And if we don't understand how that connects with faith, if we don't get how that connects with faith, here's what it means. Then a big chunk, a big portion of our life is cut off from God. Because there's so much of our life that is the relief, the pleasure, the weekend, the vacation, the, the activities that we enjoy, our hobbies, what, you know, our friendships. You go, if I don't understand how that connects with faith, that means giant parts of our life are actually disconnected from God. If we don't get how that actually interrelates with our relationship with God and what it means to be a Christian, then it means there's so much of our lives that we have no idea what it actually means to connect it to God. So here, here's our question is just how do we interact as a Christian? How do we interact with the pleasure and the joy and the stuff that we have? How do we interact with that as a Christian? How does all the stuff of our lives that we just kind of do for fun and pleasure and joy, how does that connect with faith? And here, here's what we're going to look at. Here's what Paul's going to say. And this is, this is really interesting because kind of the whole theme of this letter that, that Paul is writing to Timothy, that this church probably that, that Timothy is leading would have been started maybe five years previously to when, to when uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. And it's a church that's kind of been around now for a while and it's existed for a while. And Paul's writing Timothy to help him understand how to mature the church and strengthen the church and really get a church to a place where it's, it's stronger than it 
than it is. And, and, and we could think of a lot of different topics that might be important for that, right? Like, man, what are the kind of things, that, and we've looked at a bunch of them, but here's what, here's what Paul's going to say today that, that's so interesting to me that is probably not categorically what we normally think of when we think about maturity or growing stronger in our faith. Paul's going to say this, look, you need, you need to know about how the Bible and prayer and, and the church and leadership and money and all sorts of kind of big things. You need to know how that relates to your faith if, if you're going to go stronger. But, but you, also, you also need to know how pleasure, fun, stuff, how that connects. You, you'll never be mature as a Christian. You'll never grow stronger in your faith as a Christian. We'll never grow stronger as a church if we don't understand how, how just the stuff that we enjoy in our life actually connects with faith. And so this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to look at. How, how does this all connect with our faith? So let me, let me read this passage. First Timothy 4, 1 through 5, he says this, now the Spirit talking about the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, though through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Here's the first question that we need to just look at is, why does, I'm I'm saying this is what we're going to talk about, but why does understanding how faith connects to stuff, and that's just my big category word for all the different things that we enjoy and pleasure and fun, and why does understanding how faith connects to the stuff that we enjoy matter? Why, why does it matter so much? Why is it important? Because he, look, here's what Paul says, just to go back to this. Some are going to depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Like he's, he's making this a serious thing, that some people are actually going to leave the faith over this issue, that some people are actually going to leave Jesus and leave what they know about God and Christianity and, and their, their life maybe slowly Maybe not all at once, but they will leave. They will leave what they have known about who God is and, and what it means to, to be in relationship with him. And, and here's what he says. He says, it's going to be led by the teachings of demons and deceitful spirits. Now, what do you think demons teach? You know, if you, if you think about a demon and you go, what, what does a demon teach? I mean, our minds probably quickly go to places like this. And this, I don't know if you've seen this. This is really freaky. Okay, this is called the, uh, here's what I did. I just typed in demonic teaching into Google. And this is the first thing that came up. This is called the Momo Challenge. Okay, and this is really scary. I'm not trying to really make a joke of this. But uh, there's this thing that's popping up on, uh, and for you parents, if you don't know about this, it's good PSA. But um, there's this thing that's popping up on kids' YouTube videos. That then there's this creepy looking demonic lady that pops up and tells kids to do bad things. Says, hey, go leave the oven on and keep it on. Or hey, stab yourself in the neck. Things that are really creepy, right? And we, some of us were talking about this before the service and I didn't even say what I was gonna say, but people said, oh, are you talking about that demonic thing? You see, when you think about demon teaching, you think about demonic teaching, it's something bad like this that you're gonna think of, Right? If you think about what would a demon, if it could, if it could teach you something, what would it do? And it would tell you, do bad things, break the commandments, 
right? Hurt people, harm people, hurt yourself, steal things, damage things. That's what a demon would do, is to tell you to do these bad things. Now, let me just flip this for a second. I know some of you are freaked out. Just, I hear babies crying right now, right? So... Um, <laughs> How about this? If you, if, you think about, if you think about what is holiness, let's go the opposite of demon teaching. And if you were just to type into Google, holy man, like if you thought the opposite of what a demon would teach and someone that was like holy, what would, be the, what would they look like? A holy man, we think of someone like this, right? Somebody that kind of, usually this person is someone that gives up stuff, right? You might think of uh, someone that, uh, there was some pictures of, that popped up on Google where these people are naked because they, they completely say, I'm, I'm done with everything, right? I'm kind of giving up everything. I'm living simply. Or you think about uh, this was also under the holy man. Again, someone that would kind of sacrifice, that would give up such that food, they're not even eating anymore. And this is just a statue, but it's kind of representing someone that has, has lived a holy life. They've abstained from so much stuff. Or a holy woman. You maybe think of someone like Mother Teresa who gave up so much and lived among the poor in Calcutta. This is what we think of. We think demonic teaching is do bad things. And we think that holiness in general is that you give up things and you deny things and you, you're, you, you live simply, you abstain from things. But you know what Paul says? This is why this is so important. This is, this is why this matters so much. He says, here's what demonic teaching is. Demonic teaching, the, the stuff that the demons teach, they forbid marriage and demand the abstinence from foods. That's not normally what we think of, right? We don't normally think of demonic teaching as don't get married and don't eat this. But that's what Paul says that demons teach. That the thing that is core to demonic teaching, this is why this is so important, is forbid. The thing that is core to, and I'm not, there's all sorts of things that maybe demons could teach, and you know, I don't even know, maybe you're not even sure what you believe about demons and stuff, but, but the Bible says that there's very real spiritual forces at work in this world, and most of us have no problem kind of agreeing to that from a positive standpoint. We think, yeah, there's kind of spiritual stuff, but sometimes on the negative or darker side, we're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure about that, but but the Bible's worldview says, yeah, there is, there's a spiritual world that exists beyond just what we physically see. And there's good spirits and bad spirits. And demons want to actively teach things. And it doesn't mean that a demonic presence um, manifests itself in front of you, but it comes through people, is what he says. And demons teach forbidding. The main thing that demons in this passage, Paul is saying that they want to do is say, there's a lot of rules you need to follow. There's a lot of things that you can't do. There's a lot of stuff that maybe is around you that you go, ooh, yeah, I would love to get married. No, demons say. Look, ooh, I want to eat this. No, demons say. Now, that doesn't sound like what I've thought of when I think of demons. I think that they're big old eyes causing babies to cry, right? Like that's, that's what demons do. But Paul says demons are about purity. Demons are about abstinence. Demons are about rules. Demons are about forbidding. Now, why would demons teach this? Why, why, would demons, why would this be a big part of their strategy? And this is so important in getting how faith connects to the stuff that we enjoy. Why would this be such a crucial part of what demons want to teach? There's a couple reasons. One, one of them is this. You, you know what happens if you believe that you can't have 
you know, you can't get married and you can't eat certain things. And Paul goes on to expand that to everything. He says, you know, that's kind of the principle in this case, but it goes to everything, he says. You know why demons might teach that? Because it, it, it cultivates in you, God's holding out on me. It cult, like if, if the main demonic message that you're going to hear is, you can't have that. You can't touch that. You can't do that. You can't be there. You can't be with that. You can't do this. You know what you start to believe? Man, there's a lot that God's holding out on me on. You know, in, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, God creates the world and he, he fills it, it says, with all these different kinds of trees. The Bible says if he fills it with every different seed-bearing plant in all the different kinds of trees that you could fathom, just filled in the garden. And it says that God makes one tree that particularly gives life to his people, to Adam and Eve. And, and there's another tree, one tree in the garden that God says, I don't want you to eat of this tree, he tells Adam and Eve. But you know what happens? The serpent, Satan, a demonic teaching, the very first demonic teaching that we receive is this. The very first demonic teaching is this. He says, look, there's all these trees, but you know what the serpent comes and says to Adam and Eve? He says, and this is not what God said, which is why this is so important. The Satan, the, the serpent, the Satan, he comes and he says to Adam and Eve, did God say, did God really tell you you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? See, what the demonic teaching does is take this beautiful thing that God made of saying, you can eat everything that you want except for this. Demonic teaching comes along and focuses in and says, look, God's holding out on you. There's just one tree that you could have and God won't let you have it. That's what demonic teaching did in the very beginning. Satan comes along and says, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you. Look at this amazing thing that God is saying you can't have instead of what God actually said, which is look at everything I'm giving you and everything I want you to enjoy. Don't touch this, but look at all this. Demonic teaching comes along and says, God doesn't want you to have this. God's holding out on you. That was the lie in the very beginning that demons did. And you, some of you feel like this. Some of you live your life and you believe mainly kind of how you experience God is that God is actually the one that is the forbidder. Don't touch this. Don't have this. Right? I mean, you, I mean, you know if this is you, that you, you kind of experience God mainly as the person slapping your wrist. Mainly if you would say, what is it that God interact? Well, God, you know, what is holiness? Well, God doesn't want me to do this. He doesn't want me to do this. That's demonic. You see, demonic teaching always comes along and creates forbidding, creates rules, creates abstinence. Maybe even in your life, the demonic lie of God holding out on you comes in and you, you look at other people's lives and compare your life to theirs and go, they have this, God's holding out on me though. They've got a spouse, I don't. They've got kids, I, God's holding out on me. God doesn't want me to have things. Or you look at your life and it's hard, it's difficult. There's suffering and you go, man, God's holding out on me. This is one of the main teachings that demons bring is that God is holding out. And this is why 
demonic teaching often starts with forbidding. Another reason that demonic teaching can start with forbidding is because it's an easy way for us to avoid needing Jesus to save us. You see, one of the things that these teachers that Paul is talking about, and he kind of mentions them throughout 1 Timothy, and really in multiple places in the Bible, the same teaching comes up. It says, don't do this, don't do this. I forbid these foods. I forbid marriage. I forbid these certain things. One of, the, one of the key reasons that that's a demonic teaching is because it allows you to not need Jesus to be holy. Because if you think that holiness or you think that, that life, uh, you being okay with God in some way, comes from, here's why I know I'm good with God. I don't do all this stuff. Then you don't need Jesus. You don't need a Savior. And see, what these teachers were doing, and part of what demonic teaching is, is it says this, you can be good without God. You can be good if you just don't do these things. And we all, look, every culture has kind of different ways of that. Maybe you really feel in yourself, I know I'm good because I don't, because I don't eat certain things. Maybe you're, maybe you really, as a I don't want to pick on any certain group of people, but, it, but it's easy to, even today, go, I don't eat these things. Maybe those are non-organic things or GMO things or meat or, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on any particular group, but all groups rather, so then it's equal offensive. Um, <laughs> but it's easy still today to say, man, I'm good because I don't eat these things. Uh, it's really easy to believe that we are good, that we're okay with God, that we have some sense of holiness because of what we abstain from, which means I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus to make me right with God. I'm able to just be right with God by not doing certain things. This is demonic teaching. Here's why this is so important. Here's why this matters so much. Matters so much that we get this view right of the stuff that we enjoy because without what the Bible teaches on this, our view of God is warped. He's a God that's holding out on us. He's a one-tree God instead of a multiple-tree God. It warps our view of God. It warps our view of our self. And so what happens is this, and and some of you have felt this. Here's, Here's what happens if we buy into this demonic teaching that we need to forbid, abstain. Here's what happens. We either reject God altogether because we say, okay, if God is like that, if that's really what God is like, if God's the one that kind of is going around just saying, nope, nope, don't touch, don't eat, don't do that, don't, if that's God, eventually our hearts say, I don't really want to be around that person, right? I mean, you feel that way probably even just about other people in your life, that if, if they're the ones that are just always stop, stop, no, 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 you're like, get away from me. Maybe some of you felt like that about your parents. That's why you moved to Denver. You're like, I need to be free, right? I need to be able to do what I want to do without you hovering over me. So sometimes we just end up rejecting God, which is obviously part of why that demonic teaching would want to exist. Or sometimes maybe this is what happens. We just do it anyway. You believe the demon's teaching that that's what God is like, forbid, abstain. You believe it. You, you think that is what God is like, but you're not, you're not willing to kind of make the total move of I'm just done with God, I'm rejecting him. You're actually going to keep, you're actually going to keep with God but you're just going to feel really guilty all the time. Like, look, I don't think God wants me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway and feel guilty about it. And so you just live life with a lot of guilt about stuff. So maybe you reject God. Maybe you feel guilty. Or 
Maybe say, all right, demons. I mean, you probably don't say it like that, but you say, okay, you know what? Forbid, abstain. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay with God, and I'm going to do it. This is what God wants. God's a one-tree God. All right. You just don't feel much joy. Just kind of go through life. You don't feel a lot of joy. You don't feel a lot of happiness because your life is mainly experiences a bunch of things that are forbidden, and you just kind of don't have a lot of joy in your life. And you wonder maybe why. This is why this matters so much that we get the right view of this. Maybe even if you're not a Christian, this is part of what has kept you from God. We, you know, you think of God as a, a killjoy or one that is really interested in just stopping things from happening. So that, that's, that's why this matters so much. But what is the, the Christian view of stuff we enjoy? What, what's the Christian view then? If it's not abstain, forbid, stop, don't, what's the Christian view of it? What is the view that would actually help us? I mean, all the different things that we have on the weekends, that you have at the end of your day, that you have on vacation, your hobbies, etc. What's the Christian view of all that stuff? What would make it so that we actually are able to look at it through a different lens? And oftentimes, you know what Christians start with? If I just, maybe before this sermon, if I just said, what's the Christian view of stuff? We might, we usually start with this. It's kind of denial. It's, and I don't mean denial like you, you don't think it exists. I mean denial of like, yeah, we're supposed to lay it down. We're supposed to sacrifice it for Jesus. We're supposed to give it up. We're supposed to kind of um, be willing to take up our cross and, and, and put that stuff down. We might start with kind of a denial or, or, or maybe we start with a decreasing at least. I'm going to give you three Ds because I'm a pastor. So it might be denial or maybe it's decreasing it at least. Of, hey, let's kind of, we need to lessen. What's the Christian view of stuff? It's, okay, instead of watching a movie, I should watch half a movie, you know, <laughs> or at least, you know, I need, to, I need to not, instead of eating a bag of chips, you know, I, I should have a little bit of chip. Like, it's, it's kind of decrease the amount. That's moderation. Or, I think this happens a lot, too. It's, here's my third D. It's, it's that we divine it, meaning you kind of sprinkle some holy dust on whatever it is. So you say, you know what, hey, I, you, you kind of have an activity that you like, something you enjoy. Maybe you're going skiing, maybe you're going hiking, right? And you say, but I went with some Christian friends, so, you know, it was really good fellowship. And so you sort of like, it's justified because you got to make it a little divine, right? Or maybe there's something, maybe you want to buy a, a new bed, right? That's something you're like, man, I kind of want this thing, but it's kind of expensive, but, you know, you tell your friends, yeah, I got this new bed. I'm able to sleep so good now, and I'm able to wake up and pray more rested, you know? And so everything can kind of get a little more divine because of the stuff. You know, you go on vacation and you kind of feel bad. I went on vacation, but hey, I, oh, I had so much time to read the Bible. It was such good Sabbath. You know, we sprinkle holy words in there to make it so the Christian view of stuff, somehow we make it holy. That's what we think we need to do a lot of times. The Christian view of stuff is somehow we have to do some things, either deny them, decrease them, divine them, to make them holy in some way. Because you know what we think holiness is? If you just Google image holiness, these are the, this is what happens. Holiness is this, this bright light. Holiness is this, this sort of spiritual aura that breaks through. Or, or holiness, uh, the second most popular image is something with a dove, right? That this is what we, this is what we view holiness as. So we have to find a way to take this Christian, or this stuff rather, in a Christian view, either means we don't do it because that's not holy, or we've got to somehow put a dove on it, basically, you know, 
and make it holy in some way. But here's what Paul says. Paul says everything created by God is good and it is sanctified or it is holy. Everything, so it's not just doves and light shining through. Everything created by God is good. It is sanctified. It is holy. Everything created by God is good. It is sanctified. See, the Christian view of stuff, the Christian view of the stuff that we enjoy, it starts with two key things that Paul is giving to us here. And this is the view you have to have. This is the view you have to have if you want all the pleasure and the fun and the joy in your life to have any connection to God at all. He says it, it starts with these two things. It starts with it's, it's holy. It's good. You know why? Because here, here's the first thing Paul says is that God created it. God is the creator. God's, see, what do you like? What is the stuff that fills up your weekends? What do you like? You, you know what I like? I'm going to show you some things I like. I like this. I like mandarins. I don't know why you're laughing at mandarins, but I like mandarins. And you know, so like you think that this, I'm just go back. You think that's holiness. But what Paul says is this is holy. Everything created by God is good and it's sanctified that this is holy. You know what else I like? I like Reese's Pieces. Thank you. See, we got an amen. We got some, we got some hands raised. This is the most like charismatic you've ever been. So uh, see, because this is holy. I love Reese's Pieces, man. You put those in your mouth and you just feel that crunch and peanut butter. It's so good. I, I, I love chips and salsa. And you, you, the spice and the, the, the crunch it's like wet and dry at the same time. It's got everything comboed. It's, it's amazing. I, I mean, I, I love beef wellington. Have you ever had beef wellington? It's the best. I mean, I love like rare steak and I love donuts. And that's like a combo. It's a meat donut. It's a steak donut. Um, I, I love Breckenridge vanilla porter. Oh, man, so good. So good. I love chicken wings, especially with ranch. Man, you like chicken wings? You ever eat a chicken wing and just know that everything's going to be okay? You know, You're like this was rough, but I've got a chicken wing and it fits right here. You know, I love this is, I mean, I don't know if I, I, it's hard to make a ranking, but man, just charcuterie plates, just robust, like all out, not just meat, not just cheese, but all out, everything, the mustards, the olives, the nuts, the, just all out. We did a marriage class uh, about a month ago and had all-out charcuterie plates for those of you that didn't come. Sorry. You thought I was joking when I said it was going to be awesome, and I wasn't. So um, we, uh, I, so, was pancakes from Snooze. You guys ever been to Snooze? Um, I wish they were taking, like, you know, promotional things. But uh, this, Snooze, you get a pancake flight. We go there and get pancake flights. I mean, so many different kinds of pancakes, and they're gluten-free. They have gluten-free pancakes. Oh, man. It just, it, I don't even, every time I go there, I feel like I'm in heaven. And you've got to wait for like seven hours to get in always. But, and you're like, I hate this place. I'm never coming back. And then those pancakes go in your mouth and you say, oh man, this is good. You know, I, I love really foodie food, you know. So, I mean, just stuff that looks really pretty, but you only get one bite. I love that stuff, you know. And you've got to pay like $300 for a tomato, but it's the best dang tomato you've ever had. I love that. It's, it's, I, can, I can't do that often, but I love it. And, I, you know, not to be like stuck up. I mean, I also love fries. I love fries with sauce. And to me, sauces is what makes the fries. 
Like if you just, I love to go to Red Robin, all you can eat fries and ask for like every sauce they have because it doesn't get old, you know, so you can eat like several baskets then. Because if you just, if you just dip a fry in ketchup, you got, then you're like, I'm sick of this. But if you dip a fry in ketchup and then ranch and then mustard and then blue cheese and then blue cheese with lemon and then, and it doesn't stop, you know. And I love loaded fries and I, and I love curly fries. I think whoever invented these, this is, I don't mean, curly fries, like, they're so cool, right? It's like, is it a slinky? Is it a fry? Is it, I don't know what it is, but it's good. And I love donuts. You guys know this. I've talked about donuts before, particularly if you ever go to, um, if you ever go to LA, there's, I think they've got a couple different places, but it's called Sidecar Donuts, okay? So some of you are going to thank me later. Go to Sidecar Donuts. It's the best donuts in the world, and that's no joke. And I really want to do this one day, is just sit in a, <laughs> sit in a bathtub of donuts like Kanye. Um, and of course this is Kanye, because, you know, who else would do this? But <laughs> I love going on hikes. This is Rocky Mountain National Park. Man, I love going on hikes. You get exercise. You get, you get beauty. I mean, I love going on hikes and just being able to enjoy that. I love the Marvel movies. Um, I, I love all the Marvel movies. I, I love the voice of Sam Smith. You guys like Sam Smith? Stay with me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that. But <laughs> I was going to, like, try to do it, but then I was like, there's no way I can do what he does. I love his voice. I love Adele's voice. I mean, oh, you listen to her, and it's just like, it's amazing. My, my nephew, when, when, and she hasn't come out with an album, it's, I think she purposely waits for so long. That way when she drops an album, everyone's like, yes! But when she came out with like the hello song, you know, my, my nephew was listening to it in the car and he was like, it feels so good to be sad. And it's like this, this little emo Seattle kid, he lives in Seattle, you know, it's like, this is a true like, you know, but that's what Adele does. It's like, it makes you feel everything, you know, and John Legend's voice. Oh man, just that, just that is like, that's John Legend, you know, just head back. And it's like, I want to play the piano just so I can sing along, you know, with John Legend. I love skiing. You get to go fast, just cruise down. You get the beauty, the mountains. Oh man, skiing is so awesome. You get to be cold. It's great. <laughs> I love Space Mountain. For those of you that don't like, to, haven't learned to ski, you can go on this mountain, you know. And Space Mountain is so fun. Man, that's the best ride. I love, I love fires in the backyard with friends. I love fire. Don't you love fires? You know, I, the whole reason I like to go camping is just for the fire, you know. And then you can smell it on your clothes for a week later, you know. I, I love interior design also, you know, which, you know, they're like, what? That doesn't fit in everything. Well, I just love, I love a well-designed place. It's so beautiful. I love, every time I go into West Elm, which isn't that often, but like, I don't know why I even go there. I think we own like a pillow from there, but we, every time I go into West Elm, I, I both hate my life and am inspired because I go in, I'm like, all my stuff sucks, you know? And I'm just like this, I become a materialist every time I go in there. I'm like, I need all this now, you know? Um, and I, I love reading by candlelight and just, uh, there's something about a candlelight just candlelight flicker. I hate fake candles so much, like with a passion. Fake candles, I want to stomp on all of them, but, but a real candle, there's something about that flicker that is like, this is beautiful. Uh, I love the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is the best movies ever made. The only bo- movie better than the Lord of the Rings is the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. I love, I love the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. I love The Hobbit, and I love The Hobbit on 3D. Um, and I, I, love, uh, I love my kids, and I love my wife, uh, and, and I think even more especially, I love watching the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition with my wife and kids. 
So I, I give you all this sampling of stuff. You know why? Because you know, what, you know what Paul said? All that stuff is holy. And maybe some of that connects with you. Maybe some of that you're like, I hate mandarins. Okay, fine. Then celery, whatever. Like, but you just, all that stuff is holy. All of it, like, what do you, look, I, you don't get to do a slideshow. I'm up here. You, you're not, okay? But, but what is it that you love? What is it that you enjoy? What Paul says is this, God created it. The stuff that you fill your weekends with or your evenings with or, or your vacations with, the people in your life that you love to laugh with, you love to just be around, God created them. That's what Paul says. Paul says God created them. He made them. They're holy. The stuff that you look at and you say, I love the things that bring you the most joy in your life. Don't be so like spiritual. The things that bring you the most joy. Paul says, God designed them. We were, I didn't, this didn't, I made the slideshow before this because I don't work on Saturdays, but we went to this bakery in Arvada called Rylander Bakery. Oh my gosh. I'm gluten-free, but sometimes I cheat and, and I ate this cinnamon roll thing that I, we were in the car with my kids and I knew, like I've been trying, I've been thinking about this a bunch this week and I was just, I was, I was just like, everyone needs to be quiet. And it's because I'm just like, I'm worshiping right now. Like this is, this is amazing. And it, and it was, but like literally I was telling my kids, do you know, God, you could have a tongue that had no taste buds on it, right? Like you could, God made like, I don't know, God, I mean, isn't it just amazing that God designed a tongue to feel all this combination of flavors? Why? Because he loves us. He wants you to be filled with so much joy. You could just see in black and white. I mean, have you ever seen those videos on Facebook or whatever where the kids like get the, the glasses all of a sudden they can see in color? And, and to us, we take that for granted, right? Like unless you're colorblind, right? You, you just take it for granted. You're just like, yeah, color, like pff, color, what's up? But you put on the, you see those people put on and they see color all of a sudden? Like God could have made everything black and white. God could have made everything bland on our tongue. God could have made every texture just feel the same instead of like a smooth blanket that you touch or silk or whatever sort of textures that you like. God could have made it all the same, but he, he didn't. God is a creator that designed things and he designed them. This is the Christian view of stuff. It starts with this, that God is creator, that God designed them to fill you with joy, that God made them to fill you with joy. You know, this is so amazing because what do you think that God is like? When you think about God, what do you think God is like? If you just Google God, this is what comes up. And even if, if I said, what's God like? You're probably not going to say he's an old man in a robe. You're probably not going to say that. But this is sort of what we view God like. A distant person, a stodgy person, a holy person, an old person, kind of, this is definitely furrow-browed person. Or even if you say, well, yeah, but we're Christians. What is Jesus like? Well, that's just, it's basically the same thing. He's just, he's just, I don't know, got longer hair, you know, and he's just kind of, he's still very just, ah, I'm Jesus, you know, and it's just like, okay, yeah, that's what, but that doesn't make us go, is this what I want on my weekend or my vacation or like, and it, you know, even if you just Google characteristics of God, 
If you Google characteristics of God, this is the first thing that comes up. It's a Wikipedia entry, and it lists out all these characteristics of God. Imminence, love, omnipotence, which is all-powerful, omnipresence everywhere, omniscience, all-knowing, righteous. I'm not going to go through them. There's 30 on here. But you know what's not on there? Creative. And yet the very first thing that we find out about God in the Bible is that he's a creator. These are the first words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. This is, this is what our Google gives us our psyche, right? It tells us here's the collective consciousness of, of what we think. Characteristics of God. Not in there is that God is creative. That he's a creator, even though it's the very first thing that God reveals to us about himself. Not in here is generous, a giver, even though that's one of the second things that God reveals to us about himself, is that he's one that creates and gives everything, Paul says. Here's the, here's the Christian view of stuff. God created it. God created it. God made it. That's the first thing that we need to understand about the Christian view of stuff. You're never going to see how most of your life or tons of your life connects to God. You will unwittingly buy into demonic teaching if you don't understand what Paul says, which is that the Christian view of stuff starts here. God is the creator of all the stuff that you enjoy. He designed it. He made it. And it's not just that he designed it and made it, but I I said this a second ago. He's creator and giver. He doesn't just create it. He wants you to have it. He wants you to experience it. He wants to fill our hearts with joy. Look, you ever give a present to a kid, a niece, a nephew, a, your child? And, and maybe, you, maybe it's Christmas time, right? You wrap it up. You wrap up that present. And, and, the, and, you, know, and you, you, you have excitement of them opening it to see it. I remember I bought one of my nephews one time, these like Hulk hands put these Hulk hands on and, and it made like Hulk smash noise or something. It's like, oh, he's going to love these, right? And you get excited. You've got anticipation in your heart when they are ready to unwrap the gift. And then a lot of times they're like, eh, and then you're like, dang it. Uh, but, but if not, if it goes the way you want it to go, you've got anticipation in your heart and you're like, oh, this is going to be so good. That's what God is like. That God designed this world and he wrapped it in all this stuff. And and God has a heart filled with joy that is like, oh man, you're going to love this. Wait till you eat this cinnamon roll. Wait till, and and I wish, I mean, I wish I could see the look on God's face when we started inventing things, you know. It's like, God's like, you have no idea what's going to happen when you put hot oil and cheese together. It's going to boom, you know, cheese stick. And you're like, this is so, God's just like waiting. Like, you don't know what's going to happen when plastic meets a snow hill. And you're just like, oh, God had this, God's got that. He's a, he's a giver. He invented it. He designed it. He created it. God is the creator. That's the first part of Christian stuff. And God is the giver that wants you to feel joy, that wants your heart to experience what he made. Here's what this means. Look, if you're a Christian, maybe you even know this, that God wants you to have joy. But you know where we often go? God wants you to have joy. The Christian answer is yes, yes, but he wants me to have joy in him. That's true, but it's not only true. See, if you're a parent, and you, you say, you look at your kids and you go, I want them to love me. I want them to enjoy me. But I want them to enjoy the stuff I give them too. If they don't, you say, you're ungrateful little brat, right? You go, 
You don't, if they just said, but it's okay, I, I'm not thankful for this, but I enjoy you, you would say, no, that's not how it goes, <laughs> you know? God says, yes, I want your ultimate joy to be in me, but we can sometimes, and this is why this is demonic teaching, so easily twist that into so much of our life thinking God has nothing to do with it. When God says, I want you to enjoy me, yes, because of course I'm, I, you know, a parent is always better than Legos, but I also want you to enjoy the Legos. I also want you to enjoy the stuff that I give to you. I want you to see that I designed it all for your joy. And it's not separate from that. You know what that means? It means that Christian community is important to read the Bible, but it's also important to just go skiing or camping. It means that it's holy to pray it also means it's holy to go on a hike and just enjoy the mountains. It means that when you're suffering, you need to read the Psalms and see who God is and how he's there. And you need to eat ice cream or whatever it is that helps you. I mean, it means that God has designed all of this stuff and it all is holy. We, we have to have this view, otherwise we miss out on so much of who God is in our life. And here's the final thing, is how do we use the stuff we enjoy rightly? And this is important because we need help because we're always prone to abusing God's gifts. See, even though I'm saying God created all this, and here's the Christian view of stuff, God's creator and God's giver. I mean, you have to start there. That's where Paul starts. God is creator, God is giver. Demons want you to think forbid, forbid, one tree God. God is creator, God is giver. But how do we actually use the stuff that we enjoy rightly? Because it's easy to abuse it. It's easy to misuse the things. And often in our lives, we're faced with choices. We're faced with choices. How much of this? How little of this? Is this okay? Is this not okay? Is all stuff great then? It's like oftentimes we are actually faced with choices. And Paul's going to give us two things that guide the use of it so that we're able to use it in the way that God intends. Here's what he says. If everything created by God is good, nothing is to be rejected. If it's received with thanksgiving, since it's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. There's two things that guide our use of stuff to help us actually enjoy it. The first is that we're thankful. Everything created by God is good and it's nothing is to be rejected. Nothing. Not mandarins, not Lord of the Rings, nothing. Definitely not tubs of donuts. If, if it's received with thanksgiving is the first thing. Now look, that's easy. That's, that's easy to kind of say. But how often, how often do we go through our life consuming, using all the different kinds of things I just listed and actually not thank God? Oh, we thank him on Thanksgiving. And maybe you thank him for the big things. You get married or you get a job. Or... But how often do we go through our life and actually thank God? See, Paul says, Here, here's how you use the stuff rightly. Here's what makes it holy. We thank him for it. We actually say, God, thank you. Look, think about your weekend. What did you do that you enjoyed? What'd you do that, what'd you eat that was good? Did you have a cinnamon roll? Did you have a donut? Did you have pho? Did you have, did you go to a restaurant? Did you listen to some music that was really good? What'd you do? 
Did you stop and go, God, thank you for this? Look, I, I've, I've been doing, I've been kind of studying this, right? Thinking about this all week, so it's on my mind. And, and I'm just, it was hard for me. So even though I've been putting hours into thinking about this, it was still hard for me to consciously go, okay, well, wait a minute, I need to stop. God, thank you for this. Like, it's so easy to go through our lives and it's disconnected from God. The, you, right now, you're thinking about God. Right now, you're thinking about spiritual things, but isn't it easy to just go do the stuff that we like on the weekends and at night and, and we enjoy and we eat and, and then God's disconnected from that. And God is in the Bible when we read it and God's when we pray and God's when, but God's disconnected from so much other stuff. Maybe, maybe that's why for some of you, God feels distant in your life. Maybe some of you, that's why faith feels like a once a week thing. Because you don't actually have the Christian view of stuff and you're not using it in a way that actually helps you to go, God, thank you for this thing right here that I have. As Paul says, we start there, which means we look at life and say, man, God is active in these things. I love how C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor, Christian writer. And he says, we, or at least I, shall not be able to adore God on the highest occasions church and singing songs and marriage and all these great things at kids and big thing. We won't be able to do it on the highest occasions if we have learned no habit of doing so on the lowest. At best, our faith and reason will tell us that he is adorable, but we shall not have found him so, not have tasted and seen. You might say, oh, I know God is a creator. I know God is to be worshiped, but we're not experiencing it all the time in everything in our life. If we don't do it with the little things, it's really hard to do it in the big things. I love how G.K. Chesterton also talks about this, who was an author and Christian also. He, say, he says this, you say grace before meals. He says, all right, but I say grace before the play and the opera, and grace before the concert and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. See, that, that's, that is thankfulness. That's having God connected to every part of our life, which allows us then to see a more robust view of God involved in our lives. Faith becomes much more connected. Your love for God increases. Your trust in God increases because you start to counter the demonic teaching that he's holding out on you. You know what else happens is our joy of the stuff increases. Like if, if, if you get a beautiful donut, you're going to enjoy that. But if a friend knows that you had a hard day and they give you a beautiful donut, you're actually going to enjoy it more because you get the thing and the understanding that it was a gift. See, and if we go throughout our life understanding this view, what happens is we love God more, we trust God more, we actually enjoy life more. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a donut. You can be a Satanist and enjoy a donut. Anybody can enjoy a donut. But Christians should be able to enjoy things more because we say this is actually a gift that was given to me. I enjoy the thing and the giver through the thing. Here's else what Thanksgiving does. Thanksgiving orients our hearts to God. When you go through life saying, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this gift. You know what happens? Maybe, maybe kind of counterintuitively, when you're thankful for everything, you don't overuse it. When you're thankful for stuff, you don't abuse it because thankfulness slows down. 
it's really hard to be thankful and gorge yourself because you're not actually thinking. But if you slow down, that's part of why I really like foodie food is because you don't actually get that much of it, but you kind of savor each bite and just go, this is so good. Whereas fries with ranch, you just kind of, and you're just like, it's just like, holy cow, stop, dude. You know, that's me talking to myself. But thankfulness actually slows down. So you don't actually abuse stuff. You don't actually misuse stuff. Here's a great question that practically can help you go, how do I rightly use stuff? The stuff in your life, if you're not sure, or you're trying to make a decision, can you slow down and actually say, God, thank you for this. See, if you can't do that, if you can't say thank you, God, for this, then you probably shouldn't be using it. Thankfulness is a great guardrail. It helps moderate our use of things. No one can be just throwing them back and saying, God, thank you for this, because you know you're abusing it in that moment. But yeah, you can drink a glass of wine and go, wow, this tastes so good. God, thanks for this. But you can't be thankful for things that you abuse. You see, so thankfulness is such a good guide. It helps us to actually use the things rightly. Look, maybe there's decisions you're trying to make. Is this okay? Is this not okay? Can you honestly say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this thing. Thank you for this person. Can you do that? It becomes a good test. And the second test that he gives to us to use it rightly, he says it's made holy by thanksgiving. It's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The prayer of thanksgiving and the word of God. Which means this, it's sanctified when we use it the way that God intends it to be used. God doesn't just say, do whatever you want. Look, nothing is to be rejected. So you shouldn't reject people. You shouldn't reject alcohol. You shouldn't reject donuts. You shouldn't reject anything, he says, if it's received with thanksgiving and the word of God. Things are not bad in and of themselves. Substances are not bad in and of themselves. They're bad depending on how they're used. Think about opium or something like that, right? Horrible thing that creates addiction and a beautiful thing that helps relieve pain for soldiers or, you know, thing, people in the hospital. Like it's, there's these beautiful, it, the substances themselves are not wrong of anything in your life. But it's how those are used. Can you use it with thanksgiving? And can you use it led by the word of God? Which says that we use it in the way that God instructs us to use it. That's a huge guardrail, right? That protects us and preserves us from actually following along with maximum joy that God wants us to have. That we actually have to take the things and say, how does God say this should be used? What, what, and you know what, what all the different rules and things that God would give us? It's not to forbid us or to hurt us or to take away joy. It's to actually lead us to experiencing the most joy of the thing and for us to love other people and not hurt them. So yeah, God gives rules and guidelines on things, but it's not because he says, this is, I made this, this is bad. That's not why. It's because God says, I made this, but I know you could abuse it and hurt yourself. And I know you could abuse this and hurt other people. So use it with thanksgiving and use it led by my instructions around it. That helps us. So here's what we need to see in closing. We use stuff, we have fun, we have pleasure all the time, all the time. It's a huge part of our life. Often God is cut off from it, though. We don't know how God fits into it. We don't know how 
to interact with stuff in a Christian way or with a way that's connected to God. Here's how. We see that he's good. We see that he is the creator. We see that he is the giver. We receive it. We thank him. And we ask him how he thinks we should use it. You know what happens? More of your life's connected to God. You know what happens? More things are actually holy. You have less guilt. You actually are able to enjoy so much of what God has given you and your heart is filled with more joy in who God is. That's what begins to take place in our life. We're going to take communion. And when we take communion, we remember Jesus' body broken, his blood shed. And you know what we remember? Everything that God shows us in creation, everything that God reveals to us as I'm a creator and I, I, I make good things and I give good things because I want your joy, all of that gets at God's heart. That shows us what he's like. When we take communion, we remember the ultimate expression of that. That God would say, I don't just give you donuts, I don't just give you wine, I don't just give you meat and cheese, I give you my son. I give you the best thing possible. And you know, God didn't just send a spirit down here. He actually took on flesh, created stuff, material stuff, and said, I made humanity. I enter into creation to give you the best that there is. God wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you new. He wants you to have life with him. He does that in and through Jesus. And when we eat bread, and dip it in juice, we're able to remember God made and is good and gives, and his heart is a generous God that would give me all this and give me his own son. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are good and that you do love us, that you made this world, you created all of this stuff, you want our hearts to be filled with joy, I thank you that you give to us all the different things that we have in our life, that we enjoy all the different relationships that we enjoy. I thank you that you give to us your son, showing us the ultimate generous part of your heart. I pray now as we sing, as we take communion, that these truths would even go deeper down into our hearts. In your name.